This is Chapter Fifty Nine of Roughing It. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Roughing It by Mark Twain. Chapter Fifty Nine. For a time, I wrote literary screeds for the golden era. C. H. Webb had established a very excellent literary weekly called The Californian, but high merit was no guarantee of success. It languished, and he sold out to three printers, and Bret Hart became editor at twenty dollars a week, and I was employed to contribute an article a week at twelve dollars. But the journal still languished, and the printers sold out to Captain Ogden, a rich man and a pleasant gentleman who chose to amuse himself with such an expensive luxury without much caring about the cost of it. When he grew tired of the novelty, he resold to the printers. The paper presently died a peaceful death, and I was out of work again. I would not mention these things but for the fact that they so aptly illustrate the ups and downs that characterize life on the Pacific coast. A man could hardly stumble into such a variety of queer vicissitudes in any other country. For two months my sole occupation was avoiding acquaintances, for during that time I did not earn a penny, or buy an article of any kind, or pay my board. I became a very adept at slinking. I slunk from back street to back street. I slunk away from approaching faces that looked familiar. I slunk to my meals, ate them humbly and with a mute apology for every mouthful I robbed my generous landlady of and at midnight, after wanderings that were but slinkings away from cheerfulness and light, I slunk to my bed. I felt meaner and lowlier and more despicable than the worms. During all this time I had but one piece of money, a silver ten-cent piece, and I held to it, and would not spend it on any account, lest the consciousness coming strong upon me that I was entirely penniless might suggest suicide. I had pawned everything but the clothes I had on, so I clung to my dime desperately till it was smooth with handling. However, I am forgetting. I did have one other occupation beside that of slinking. It was the entertaining of a collector, and being entertained by him, who had in his hands the Virginia banker's bill for forty-six dollars which I had loaned my schoolmate, the prodigal. This man used to call regularly once a week and dun me, and sometimes oftener. He did it from sheer force of habit, for he knew he could get nothing. He would get out his bill, calculate the interest for me at five per cent a month, and show me clearly that there was no attempt at fraud in it, and no mistakes, and then plead and argue, and dun with all his might for any sum, any little trifle, even a dollar, even half a dollar on account. Then his duty was accomplished and his conscience free. He immediately dropped the subject there always, got out a couple of cigars and divided, put his feet in the window, and then we would have a long, luxurious talk about everything and everybody, and he would furnish me a world of curious dunning adventures out of the ample store in his memory. By and by he would clap his hat on his head, shake hands, and say briskly, "'Well, business is business. Can't stay with you always,' and was off in a second. The idea of pining for a dun, and yet I used to long for him to come, and would get as uneasy as any mother if the day went by without his visit, when I was expecting him. But he never collected that bill, at last nor any part of it. I lived to pay it to the banker myself. 
misery loves company now and then at night in out of the way dimly lighted places i found myself happening on another child of misfortune he looked so seedy and forlorn so homeless and friendless and forsaken that i yearned toward him as a brother i wanted to claim kinship with him and go about and enjoy our wretchedness together the drawing toward each other must have been mutual at any rate we got to falling together oftener though still seemingly by accident and although we did not speak or evince any recognition i think the dull anxiety passed out of both of us when we saw each other and then for several hours we would idle along contentedly wide apart and glancing furtively in at home lights and fireside gatherings out of the night shadows and very much enjoying our dumb companionship finally we spoke and were inseparable after that for our woes were identical almost he had been a reporter too and lost his birth and this was his experience as nearly as i can recollect it after losing his birth he had gone down 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 with never a halt from a boarding-house on russian hill to a boarding-house in kearney street from thence to dupont from thence to a low sailor-den and from thence to lodgings in goods boxes and empty hogsheads near the wharves then for a while he had gained a meagre living by sewing up bursted sacks of grain on the piers when that failed he had found food here and there as chance threw it in his way he had ceased to show his face in daylight now for a reporter knows everybody rich and poor high and low and cannot well avoid familiar faces in the broad light of day this mendicant blucher i call him that for convenience was a splendid creature he was full of hope pluck and philosophy he was well read and a man of cultivated taste he had a bright wit and was a master of satire his kindliness and his generous spirit made him royal in my eyes and changed his curbstone seat to a throne and his damaged hat to a crown he had an adventure once which sticks fast in my memory as the most pleasantly grotesque that ever touched my sympathies he had been without a penny for two months he had shirked about obscure streets among friendly dim lights till the thing had become second nature to him but at last he was driven abroad in daylight the cause was sufficient he had not tasted food for forty-eight hours and he could not endure the misery of his hunger in idle hiding he came along a back street glowering at the loaves and bake-shop windows and feeling that he could trade his life away for a morsel to eat the sight of the bread doubled his hunger but it was good to look at it anyhow and imagine what one might do if one only had it presently in the middle of the street he saw a shining spot looked again did not and could not believe his eyes turned away to try them then looked again it was a verity no vain hunger-inspired delusion it was a silver dime he snatched it gloated over it doubted it bit it found it genuine choked his heart down and smothered a hallelujah then he looked around saw that nobody was looking at him threw the dime down where it was before and walked away a few steps and approached again pretending he did not know it was there so that he could re-enjoy the luxury of finding it he walked around it viewing it from different points then sauntered about with his hands in his pockets looking up at the signs and now and then glancing at it and feeling the old thrill again 
Finally he took it up and went away, fondling it in his pocket. He idled through unfrequented streets, stopping in doorways and corners to take it out and look at it. By and by he went home to his lodgings, an empty Queensware hogshead, and employed himself till night trying to make up his mind what to buy with it. But it was hard to do. To get the most for it was the idea. He knew that at the miner's restaurant he could get a plate of beans and a piece of bread for ten cents, or a fish-ball and some few trifles. But they gave no bread with one fish-ball there. At French Pete's he could get a veal cutlet, plain, and some radishes and bread for ten cents, or a cup of coffee, a pint at least, and a slice of bread. But the slice was not thick enough by the eighth of an inch, and sometimes they were still more criminal than that in the cutting of it. At seven o'clock his hunger was wolfish, and still his mind was not made up. He turned out and went up Merchant Street, still ciphering, and chewing a bit of stick, as is the way of starving men. He passed before the lights of Martin's restaurant, the most aristocratic in the city, and stopped. It was a place where he had often dined in better days, and Martin knew him well. Standing aside, just out of the range of the light, he worshipped the quails and steaks in the show-window, and imagined that maybe the fairy times were not gone yet, and some prince in disguise would come along presently and tell him to go in there and take whatever he wanted. He chewed his stick with a hungry interest as he warmed to his subject. Just at this juncture he was conscious of someone at his side, sure enough, and then a finger touched his arm. He looked up over his shoulder and saw an apparition, a very allegory of hunger. It was a man, six feet high, gaunt, unshaven, hung with rags, with a haggard face and sunken cheeks, and eyes that pleaded piteously. This phantom said, "'Come with me, please.' He locked his arm in Blucher's, and walked up the street to where the passengers were few, and the light not strong, and then, facing about, put out his hands in a beseeching way, and said, "'Friend, stranger, look at me.' Life is easy to you. You go about, placid and content, as I did once, in my day. You have been there, and eaten your sumptuous supper, and picked your teeth, and hummed your tune, and thought your pleasant thoughts, and said to yourself, It is a good world, but you've never suffered. You don't know what trouble is. You don't know what misery is, nor hunger. Look at me. Stranger, have pity on a poor, friendless, homeless dog. As God is my judge, I have not tasted food for eight and forty hours. Look in my eyes and see if I lie. Give me the least trifle in the world to keep me from starving, anything, twenty-five cents. Do it, stranger, do it, please. It will be nothing to you, but life to me. Do it, and I will go down on my knees and lick the dust before you. I will kiss your footprints. I will worship the very ground you walk on only twenty-five cents. I am famishing, perishing, starving by inches. For God's sake, don't desert me." Blucher was bewildered, and touched, too, stirred to the depths. He reflected, thought again, then an idea struck him, and he said, "'Come with me.' He took the outcast's arm, walked him down to Martin's restaurant, seated him at a marble table, placed the bill of fare before him, and said, "'Order what you want, friend. Charge it to me, Mr. Martin.' "'All right, Mr. Blucher,' said Martin. 
Then Blucher stepped back and leaned against the counter and watched the man stow away cargo after cargo of buckwheat cakes at seventy-five cents a plate, cup after cup of coffee, and porter-house steaks worth two dollars apiece, and when six dollars and a half worths of destruction had been accomplished, and the stranger's hunger appeased, Blucher went down to French Pete's, bought a veal cutlet plain, a slice of bread, and three radishes with his dime, and set to and feasted like a king. Take the episode all around, it was as odd as any that can be culled from the myriad curiosities of Californian life, perhaps. End of chapter 59